Welcome to Take the Stage and my special series, Ladies Who Rock. I'm your host, Alexis Alvarez. Ladies Who Rock is dedicated to all those rock star women who have progressed in industries or roles that have been historically underrepresented by women. You're going to learn who they are, their career paths, and most importantly, what makes them rock stars. Today on Take the Stage, our special Lady Who Rocks guest is Emily Yin. Emily is an analyst at Avante Capital Partners, the largest women-owned private credit firm in the SBIC industry. She is primarily responsible for investment due diligence, but also works on other impact initiatives, including a junior women's network and mentoring students through Avante's diversity internship program. Emily graduated with a bachelor's degree in global health and previously worked in biotech and pharma. She is passionate about the intersection between finance and social impact, particularly in healthcare equity and women's health. Emily, welcome. I'm very excited to have you as my guest. The first thing that I really want to say is that I have a ton of conversations with early career professionals, especially at the analyst and associate levels. So I'm really excited because I think that today's episode is really going to resonate with so many junior level professionals out there. So I want to just dive right in. And I think you have a fascinating profile. So I want to just kick off by something, you know, going through a really basic kind of career path. Tell us a little bit about yourself and we'll go from there. Awesome. Thanks, Alexis. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. And I love all the work that you do to support women in investing roles. But yeah, I was born and raised in Wilmington, Delaware. My parents moved here from China in the 90s. So I'm a first generation American. And I moved to LA to USC, um, University of Southern California to study global health, which seems very uh, unique for someone who has now a career in private equity. But it was I've always like enjoyed health in my life. And I thought global health was super interesting because it adds the aspects of equity and social determinants of health and international relations. So all of these topics kind of naturally led me to develop this intellectual curiosity to that helped me be really successful in private equity. And from then, I did a couple internships in global health on biotech, pharma side, working in the field. And then my junior year, I luckily found an internship at Avante and was lucky enough to get a return offer. This was right during COVID. So a lot of people were pulling their full-time offers. So I thought I would just take it just so I could have a job after graduation. And it was the best thing I ever did. And then my senior year, because I already had my full-time job in place working in private credit, I'm now an analyst at Avante. After Avante, I was able to take this really cool engineering class. And it was meant for teaching students innovation in engineering and design. And the focus was helping to solve some kind of problem that was created by COVID. So my team and I developed a wearable medication pouch for patients experiencing homelessness to store their medication under their clothes, discreetly on their bodies while they're living on the street. So that product is now called Remedy and we're launching a national pilot program across the country. And that experience really gave me a good perspective as a founder, what it takes to start up a business and especially one in social impact and what it takes to do user-based research and understand the people that you're trying to help and not just impose your own assumptions about what they need, really listening to them and solving the problems that they're telling you about. Awesome. So there's 
a lot of places to dig into <laughs> here. Where should I start? Well, I guess first, before anything, what a wild time to be a global health major. <laughs> That's like <laughs> the thing that came to mind, right? Um, <laughs> so yeah, a lot of people we used to say, what's global health? What do you do? And then during COVID, I would say, I study global health. And they were like, oh my God, <laughs> so topical. Uh, Yeah, I can just imagine those conversations. All right. So what I kind of want to focus on, because, you know, I really want to get get in your head a little bit in terms of your decision to choose a career in PE. And I, I often joke that, you know, a career in this space doesn't just naturally happen, right? Unless you've had some kind of exposure from your family or your network. But but most people don't. And you never hear like a kid say, like, when I grow up, I want to be a partner at a lower middle market, you know, PE firm. You just, you don't hear that. And that's, you know, most people just kind of stumble into it at one point. So I want you to take us back to your time at USC and talk to us about really what drove you to choose this career, you know, especially given the fact that your, you know, your background or your degree was in, in global health. I actually didn't know anything about private equity going into my internship at Avante. I knew generally I wanted to get into finance. And after my work in global health, I realized that there's so many great interventions that can really improve people's health, but they're chronically underfunded to the point where they can't scale. And from the intervention side, there's not that much you can do. So talking to different mentors I had at these internships and research groups, they said, you should understand the funding side. And that led me to just generally apply to finance internships and try to understand how do we frame these interventions, not only as a way to do social good, but as a good return on investment. So that's kind of what led me to start applying to finance roles. And I kind of just spread my net out really wide in wealth management, private equity. And when I got my offer from Avante, I talked to one of my current principals and just said, I'm really interested in a a career in in impact investing. Um, Which of these offers? would set me up best. And she said, this one at Avante. So I kind of just took a leap of faith and signed my offer. And for me, I didn't really have a lot of friends in the space. Granted, I was a global health major, so I didn't have a ton of business friends. But the ones that I did, only one of my business friends who went into investment banking slash private equity after graduation was a woman. And she's now in equity research. So it was a very small pool of people that I could talk to. And it would never have been something that I would have considered. Whereas like when I was going into the internship, I didn't even know how to explain it to people. The closest I got was saying, I'm doing something like Shark Tank, even though it's very different than what private equity is. So I think without just taking chances and exploring opportunities that you're not sure if you're under, you're going to like, it's very hard for college undergrads, especially women to even discover this field because it's not something that's taught to us as a field that we should naturally go into. I would add that I can resonate with that. Like, what do you do exactly <laughs> kind of um, field of questioning? So you you had that with like global health and then, of course, with with private equity. And uh, <laughs> I actually like had to sit down with my family not that long ago. And it was something like I was talking to like my aunts and uncles and they were like, well, you know, I was explaining to them what private equity was and and what I was doing. And they're like you know, after like about a bunch of like back and forth of like, oh, you do, you know, you work in the stock market. I'm like, no, <laughs> um, <laughs> just, I left it at like, yeah. oh, you're a, you're a wall street professional. And I'm like, well, let's go with that. <laughs> yeah. so like, What stock should I buy? Oh, what credit card should I get? I mean, these are totally different fields of finance that I do not know about at all. Yes. Yes. Um, which is even more, 
your your case is even more fascinating. The fact that like you just really had like no exposure. But what I hear, and I think that this is a common denominator among candidates that I see that are able to successfully transition is that you have this curiosity and you have almost like a get out of your comfort zone, a mentality, right? Which can be really hard to have, especially at a, at a college level, you know, when you're, when you're younger, I mean, it can take, I probably took me to my thirties to really get comfortable getting outside of my comfort zone and where I would just, you know, really challenge myself. And so, especially at a, at a college level or college level age is even more unique, but that, that's something when you were talking about it, I thought, okay, there's lots of candidates that I, I feel have that as that common denominator. So, all right. So I love the fact that, you know, you have this non-traditional background and, you know, I'm a really, anyone that follows me on LinkedIn knows that I have this fascination with kind of like the underdogs and seeing people that, you know, really shouldn't like, might, you could even say might have no business being here and they're able to do that. I love that. So what do you think was just instrumental in helping you break into PE? What do you think that those kind of those qualities or experiences, what's your take on that? Yeah, I definitely felt so out of my depth the first couple of weeks of my internship. The other two interns at my firm were both business majors, both had taken financial accounting classes, asking really detailed questions about cash flow statements that I couldn't even understand the question, let alone know the answer to. But I realized that I just really wanted to learn everything that I could during the short internship because a full-time offer wasn't guaranteed at the time. And I thought I was going to go back and have to re-recruit for investment banking. So I just wanted to get my hands in every single project that we were doing, every deal that came in. I wanted to sit in on calls. So I think that really demonstrated a lot of initiative and a lot of willingness to do the work that maybe wasn't very cool, like taking notes on calls. But because I was willing to take notes, I got to sit in on a lot of calls that just helped to piece together the entire universe of private equity, where we're sitting in on sponsor calls about a deal, but also sitting in on deal calls and team calls and understanding all the different parts of the process from when the deal comes in to the final IC and closing process. Because I had shown so much initiative the people at my firm were willing to give me more work. So by the end of the summer, I had worked on three live deals and even pitched an initial IC to the investment committee. And that isn't all just because I was willing to do it. But I think for people who are coming, especially from an untraditional background, your background is actually your biggest advantage. Because even though I didn't understand anything about the three financial statements, I've had very deep industry knowledge about the biotech and pharmaceutical industries that my peers in business would never have exposure to, even if they took like one or two classes. But I had worked in it the past two summers. I had grown up in it. All of my classes were revolving around the drug development process because I was really interested in access to medicine and intellectual property. And so when we luckily got in a pharmaceutical consulting deal while I was an intern, I just emailed the VP and said, I'm really interested in this space. Can I please help you do any research that you need? And she said, great. I don't know a single thing about FDA regulations. And I said, good thing for you. I know a lot about FDA regulations, but I can't read an income statement. So between the two of us, we put together like, uh, I don't know, a 12 page memo. And she was like, I want you to kick it off at IC. And that was something that I don't think I would have been able to do if I had only had a traditional business background, because at that point in your career, you don't know how to model. I was like three months in. So for the people entering, like, don't kick yourself if you don't know 
how to do an entire LBO model the minute you walk through the doors, because that's something that you can learn. Everyone that I talked to this summer, and I think this is another thing that was really helpful, was having supportive mentors, which was more than I could have asked for because Avante had this lunch and learn program through their internship where they would bring in diverse individuals. So women and minorities in different parts of the private equity ecosystem to talk about their journey and how they got there. And I made sure to connect with every single one one-on-one and just talk to them through their career path and ask them, like, what is your advice for me? This is kind of what I want to do. What should I be doing now? And where can I go from here? And all of them told me, you know, modeling isn't rocket science. You just need to get enough reps and you can do it. But what you're doing now, one, having the background knowledge of the industry that will help you get up to speed much quicker and understand the nuances of this very specific regulatory environment. And also just the fact that you're willing to learn it. They said, as long as you are willing to work hard to learn the modeling, the rest of the knowledge that you have can't be taught. So that's what gave me the confidence, I think, to continue. Because like you said, even though I think I I knew I wanted to do finance, I wasn't really sure how it was going to go. Because in my life, I had a natural affinity towards science, like biology and chemistry. And I had never really tried anything that I knew I would be bad at. Like I knew I was good at writing and all of these building blocks of foundational skills ended up translating to finance. But when I tell you the first couple months as an analyst, I really struggled adapting to a virtual workplace and learning the skills of finance, like trying to learn how to model for the first time when I had never really taken any finance classes was not easy. And I actually thought about quitting multiple times because it was so difficult. But luckily, I had a really supportive team at Avante and just the mentors that I developed kept me going. And I really did think this job was so interesting. I love that I get to learn about something new every day. And that's kind of what satisfies me. Even though you're doing the same model every single day, you're learning about something different. It's a different structure, different industry, different operating model. And that, I think, keeps you on your toes. Mm-hmm. That was a long-winded answer. But- no, no. You you touched on all these different things. And I'm going to come back to, to some of those points. But one of the things that I ha- kind of have circled here on my notepad is that, you know, Again, we're seeing the common theme is curiosity and which goes very hand in hand with kind of like initiative and just that desire to kind of learn more and kind of eat it all up. I mean, you clearly you clearly have that. But with that said, you also said like, okay, the fact that I had initiative isn't the reason why, you know, all of this kind of happened. So I wanted to ask you because that's it's incredibly intimidating, right? To come into a room and be like, I don't really know anything or this person knows like so much more than me. And, and it's like, especially true when you're, you know, when you're younger and you're starting, I mean, no, it's true at any age. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> because, you know, like we all suffer from those moments of you just a feeling like, ah, I need to know all the answers. Right. So, I mean, out of all the times, like, especially maybe let's just say that first month, how many times, like on a scale of one to 10, did you feel just like, completely, you know what I mean? Like completely uncomfortable. Like you said, you wanted to quit. How many times did that? Basically every single day, every single day, quitting, but every single day I thought, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't understand a single thing that's going on, especially as an intern. I thought, you know, I'll just do my three months and go try something that I'll actually be good at because I don't think it's this, Mm -hmm. but there, there are so few things that you're going to just naturally get, especially in a career as complex as private equity. You're working with so many different actors, so many different types of businesses. Every single one is different. Every management team is different. Every industry is different and constantly evolving that even the investment committee partners don't know everything. 
And if you think you do, that's when you start making bad investments. And so the reason our investment committees are here, which what's really interesting for me to learn is not to be a judge and say, this is a good or bad investment. Our entire investment committees are more them just asking as many questions as they could possibly think of. And the deal team just needs just wants to find answers. Either if they don't have answers, they need to find them and really help inv- the investment committee get a well-rounded view of what this investment is going to look like. So even at the highest levels of a private equity firm, they don't have all the answers. They just have to know how to ask the right questions. And I think when you start doing that early on in your career, even though your questions aren't going to be as specific and nuanced as the ones from an investment committee on a deal, if you just every task that you're given, ask, why are you doing this? Or what is the best way to do this? Or how would you go about doing this? Those are very easy ways to just start learning. It's very much a mentorship or an apprenticeship business where you just kind of learn based on what the people who are teaching you have always done. And it's always helpful to bring in a new perspective. But I think that was the most helpful way to help me get my feet on the ground was I shadowed different VPs and saw how they did things. And then I was able to develop my own mix of all of their methods that worked for me. Because at first, I think I was shadowing someone who maybe we have just different working styles and it was very confusing for me. And then I shadowed someone else and I thought, oh, actually, this makes sense. If I see how how this is meant to be done from the first person perspective, but it didn't really click until I heard it explained a different way from someone else. So I think if you're feeling overwhelmed, just know that there's more than one way to, what is it, skin a cat? Yeah. Like everyone does a model differently. Every model looks different. Like there isn't one end all be all way of doing it. And you'll find what works for you if you're willing to put in the time. Mm-hmm. I think something important that we need to also kind of make mention of is the fact that, I mean, Avante is very unique and this internship program is also, you know, very unique. So, I mean, not all firms will do this and will take someone that, you know, might not necessarily be a business major. Can you just, you know, very briefly kind of maybe tell us about like the the internship program and how maybe you came into, <laughs> you came into, uh, into it? Absolutely. Avante has a diversity internship program. So it's been for women and minorities and people who don't have any traditional finance background to be exposed to the field. It's totally an exposure program just so you can see if this is something that you would like to pursue because so few internships require absolutely no technical skills that for most people, especially diverse individuals, they basically have to know they already want to go into it to spend the time learning all the technicals, preparing for interviews. And that is very is a very high barrier to entry. So we wanted this to be a very open opportunity for people to just figure out if this is something that they might like to do. There's like 30 plus firms that are part of this. Correct me if I'm wrong, right? I think it's it's around yeah. there, right? Okay. So. I think we're reaching like 36 this year and 40 something interns, which is a huge leap awesome. from the six firms, nine interns from my inaugural year. Mm-hmm. This is like a really good point to, you know, to really highlight because like I said, not all firms are like this, right? Not all firms kind of give you this, this opportunity. And there are, you know, 30 plus firms across the country that, you know, can give you this kind of exposure. So definitely want to highlight that, especially for everyone that, you know, more of the the junior talent that are entertaining the idea of of moving into into private equity. Okay, so so moving on, I I also wanted to make sure you said something really great that I love that I also talk a lot 
about with my candidates, especially the ones that are, you know, coming from non-traditional backgrounds. And I like what you might perceive as your weakness, right, is really your strength. So the fact that you don't have a business background or a business degree is something that you mentioned that you were able to really kind of change the narrative around, right? And 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 turn it into something that, okay, yes, my knowledge in this particular space is valuable and I can use this to, to my advantage. So I, I thought that that was just a really good point because you might think, right? Like, oh, I just, I don't, I like you said, I don't know how to read a... I don't know how to read financials like my colleague, but I can talk to you about FDA regulations like all day long. I love that. Definitely. Um, And even if you don't have a specific industry that you're very experienced in, experienced as much as you can be as a junior in college, to clarify. But even things like I was part of a, like an honors writing program instead of my general education program in college. And that really taught me how to think critically and organize my information and arguments using evidence-based like research from the books and lectures that we were reading or the books and articles that we were reading. And that's actually basically what writing an investment committee memo is. And I didn't even know that, but as we were compiling information, making our outline of thesis and risks, all of it was the same thing as writing a paper, but instead of getting your information from a book, it's your data room analysis, it's your model, it's your industry research, it's your reference calls. And it's the same process of organizing information in a digestible way and arguing your thesis to the investment committee. So all of these backgrounds, even if your background is just more generally liberal arts, can be valuable in a field like this. Love it. I love that. I love that. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Shout out Shout out to my principal, Amanda, who also was a, she was like a math and government major at a small liberal arts college. And now she's a principal at a private credit firm. At yeah. So you can really do anything if you're willing to put in the, the time and work hard to learn the skills that you didn't come in having. Absolutely. And have that curiosity and that initiative that yes. we <laughs> <laughs> that we've talked about. Awesome. Okay, so so moving on, one of the points that you mentioned was the fact that the importance of like connecting and asking these questions. And so that that leads me to my next question because you you started or you created the Junior Women's Network at Avante. So I want to understand kind of what what prompted you um or what inspired you really to take, you know, a, yet again another initiative to kind of broaden the horizons here. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think when I was an intern and sitting in on all these lunch and learns with diverse speakers, I thought the industry was really diverse. And it wasn't until I actually started working at Avante, looking up the sponsors, the PE firms that we work with, um, getting on all these calls that I realized it was mostly white men. And it was so rare to see a woman or a diverse individual in the top levels of management in these private equity firms. I think women make up less than 9% of all private equity partners in the world, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. And when I joined Avante, actually, I can't take credit for the starting the happy hours. My principal, Amanda, started them during COVID and I kind of took them over as part of my analyst role because I just loved talking to people. And these women, I really have to credit these women for being so vulnerable. They started out just being a place to chat with other junior women in the industry But I remember specifically, I had a Chicago happy hour that spoke just 
very openly about the struggles that they were facing as a junior woman, where they have no female mentors at all who were in senior levels of management. They were asked to do more menial tasks like setting up and cleaning up the table when their male counterparts were allowed to go talk to management teams. And I was just floored that these things could still happen in 2020. This was 2021. (laughs) The junior level is where we're losing most of the women in private equity because the analyst and associate level is such a grind. It's so many long hours and a lot of hard work, very little recognition and very little, it, it gets really hard to see the end goal of becoming partner. And a lot of these women don't have anyone to look up to, to kind of show them the ropes at their specific firms or even across the industry, which really shocked me. And I've only been at Avante for a year and a half, but I have more female mentors in finance than I can count on both my hands. And many of these women had none. So in my email, I said, if we want to get more women to become partners in private equity, private credit, which you will, we need to start retaining them at a junior level before they get burnt out and have to leave the industry. Because one of the girls specifically on the call, she mentioned feeling really burnt out and didn't feel like she had a lot of support from anyone at her firm. She didn't get invited to their poker events or events. And she asked us, her ask for the group was, I know that this is what I signed up for when I got into private equity. And I know that this is my future. And I've accepted that. But I just wanted to ask you guys how you keep going. And that really broke my heart because working at Avante, I know that that isn't what the field has to be like. And that's not what the future is going to look like. So what really motivated me to start up these happy hours and to continue building up this juniors network is to show these women what the industry can look like if they choose to stay. But I wrote like a really long email to all the women on our team saying that as a firm where 80% of our employees are either women or minorities, there's so much that we can do to support them. And I laid out like a lot of different initiatives and basically the partners were like, go ahead, you're like set up a budget and whatever you want to do, we want to support these women too. That's awesome. What you, you know, what this initiative and everything that you're hearing. And I, I mean, I can tell you that I probably have at least five conversations a week (laughs) with junior level female talent that tell me the exact same thing that I am one of, you know, uh, I'm the only female on a team of 10. There are no female leaders. Um, The most senior person that's a female in my team is an associate. And, you know, I'm speaking with an analyst. And so I really like to do these networking calls with people that I reach out to. And, you know, even if they're not really quite ready to make a move, I still encourage them to do these networking calls. And I find that when I do these calls and they listen to, you know, like what I do and I say, well, look, I only work with firms that either have really strong positions on diversity or who are looking to, you know, broaden their pool or, you know, just overall increase diversity within their organizations. And all of my clients, for example, right now are either women and or minority founded and led firms. And so when I say that, many times I I receive, I had no idea that these types of firms existed. And so, you know, it's, I, I, I really, I love doing those calls because it's, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And of course it's so small and you have, you know, you have to connect with those like-minded folks in order to know that. Right. So I think, you know, like the, the junior, the, the network that you've created is just an awesome, incredible initiative. 
Avante as a whole has a very solid women's network. We do a lot of events around women's conferences, and we now have a network of over 600 women in private equity who are part of our events. And our junior women's network is specifically for junior level women, so analysts to maybe senior associates. And we host monthly happy hours. Usually they're virtual, but if we're in the city, we'll turn it into an in-person event. And we host monthly happy hours in Boston, New York, Chicago, and Philly, just as a place for us to get to meet other women at similar levels that you might not get to meet in your everyday job and talk about just literally anything. I talk to a lot of candidates that have an interest in in private. They're coming from investment banking, are considering making the pivot to private equity. Are these like organized events that they could join or how does it work? Yes. The actual events are just like pretty ad hoc. Like when we're doing a trip to the city, we'll turn it into an event. But the monthly recurring Zoom invite is open to everyone. We've had, especially in our New York happy hour, a lot of the girls have invited like mentees from a great network called The Synergist. And those are people who are currently in banking, but are going to join PE sometime in the next like year. And they just want to like meet more women and talk about what it's really like to work in private equity. So definitely an open invitation. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn if this is something you'd like to be a part of. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I will start to incorporate that into my calls with these young women who, you know, they tell me they're sad. Well, they're not sad stories, <laughs> but but uh-huh. but it is to, to a degree because they definitely, they feel isolated. I, I haven't heard really like any cases where they're like, oh, I'm excluded from certain <laughs> things. I, I haven't, or, or maybe they haven't felt that, that level of comfort, you know, to actually tell me that, but, but they do tell me like, okay, yeah, I am the only woman on my team. And it would be nice to be at a firm that had more women, you yeah. know? So like, this is something that, you know, that I would love to be able to, again, because mm-hmm. it, it goes back to everything that I am trying to do with building the tribe, mm-hmm. kind of like my, my next point. Even if you're at a firm with not a lot of women, especially on the investment side, there are ways to make activities feel more inclusive. I know at Avante, we don't ever do any golf. We like to do poker, but we try to pick sports like beach volleyball or pickleball that anyone is probably a novice to. And there's no natural advantage or feeling like you don't belong to the group. So that's awesome. There are other things to do when you hang out other than playing golf. Yeah. And it's funny because I actually started playing golf this year just for fun. (laughs) And I like it. (laughs) You want to show your your superiority. (laughs) But I'm like, but not because I had to, because I wanted to. Right, right. No, but it's you you bring up a good point because I deal with a lot of firms that really don't know how to tackle this. Like they they have good intentions. Like I would love to have more diversity. I would love to attract more women or I would love to like keep the ones that I have, but I don't know how to do that. And they don't, the thing is like the bias is so deeply ingrained that we don't even know that, you know, we are active participants. And I, and I say that because we're all guilty of it, at least at one point in our lives. And, and when we look at in this particular example where it's, yes, I mean, that's a really great attitude. Let's, let's participate. Let's invite everyone to come to an event in which everyone, the likelihood that anyone's going to be good at this (laughs) is, is very slim, (laughs) right? So like, you know, let's find an obscure sport. No, it's not even obscure, um, but it could be like, yeah, like a, like a pickleball or, you know, any kind of, like you said, beach volleyball, rowing, where, you know, the likelihood that, you know, someone is going to just not want to go because they don't feel like they're 
athletic enough or competitive totally. enough to do it, you remove that element. So I, I like that. That's a simple suggestion um, that can really make an impact to be more inclusive. You mentioned ways to recruit and retain more women. And I think that Avanti does a really good job of this. But I want to amend my earlier statement. I think most women drop out of PE when they reach the mid-levels, like VP, where they're starting to lead their own deals. The, t- the hours are extremely demanding, and a lot of firms don't have that flexibility to support them. And that's a pretty critical time in their life where maybe they're late 20s, early 30s, and thinking about maybe starting a family. And the way that the industry is right now, it's really hard for women to be mothers and move up to partner just because you can't have a million hours in the day. And it's not that they don't want to continue their career. And it's not that they don't want to be there for their families. It's that they simply don't have enough time in the day to do both. And I think that is something that I'm even hearing from a very junior level. All of the more senior women that I've talked to as my mentors have told me to plan out when I'm going to business school, when I'm planning on starting a family, and make sure that my career trajectory won't be impacted by when I'm pregnant, which it's been told to me so many times where I really started to internalize it. And like it's something that I'm still thinking about where I need to make sure that I I've been told that I shouldn't I shouldn't be pregnant when I'm coming out of business school interviewing for full-time jobs because a lot of firms might have a natural bias and think that if they hire me, I'll immediately go on maternity leave and they won't want to hire me. The fact that this is something that people have told me as helpful advice, I, I appreciate it, but it's crazy that the industry itself hasn't evolved past a point where we can get over these internal biases, as you said before, to make sure that women can have both a fulfilling personal life and a fulfilling career without having to choose. Yeah. You bring up a really good point. And that's, I think, on the top of the list when I like speak to candidates like female candidates. And that's always one of their concerns. Like, I'm going to have to choose between my career and my family. And that's already something that they, you know, by the time that they're, you know, one or two years in, they're already thinking about that, you know, like, I'm going to have to, and it's already deeply ingrained, you know, and they believe it. And that's, you know, what I, what I always say is that, you know, if I'm able to talk to these, you know, to these candidates, Mm -hmm. I'm like, half, to build the tribe. And I talk about that a lot. And you have to find those like-minded folks. You have to find the firms that are forward thinking and where this is not a limitation. Um, just because you're a woman and you want to have a family um, should not limit your career path. Sadly, it does. I mean, it does. And and it is a, in, you know, I'm a mother. Um, I don't work in investment banking or, you know, private equity in the, like at an investment or deals level. But I mean, I understand I'm a business owner and I'm a woman with three children, four, if you count my husband. And, you know, it is, it is a struggle. It's hard. It's definitely, definitely hard. And if you don't have the right network and you don't have the right kind of support, it makes a lot of sense that you see, you know, women at that age start to leave, or maybe not even start to look at advancing in their career because they don't want to be put into that situations. So what do you say to these women when they tell you this or, or or anyone who tells you this? Honestly, I say thank you for the advice <laughs> because while my experience in private equity has been amazing and I'm surrounded by a very diverse team, I have very supportive mentors, I fully recognize that this is not what most women or most junior people in private equity experience. And so... I'm conscious and grateful every day that I have not been exposed to the everyday 
microaggressions that a lot of women experience in their careers. And my struggles, if you can even call them that in private equity, have just been me learning from an untraditional background. And I think that it would be way harder if I was at a place that didn't feel like I belonged here. I actually just found out this fact that Harvard only let in women in 1965 to their MBA programs. And at the time, they weren't sure if women were going to stick in the business program. So they only converted one bathroom and left in the urinals. And these, the, one of the women from that first class was interviewed. And she said, I felt like every single class, I had to justify why I was here taking up the space of a man. And in a class of, I think, a thousand, and there were only seven women. I would hope that private equity has progressed past that kind of mentality, but I honestly wouldn't know what it's like to work at a farm outside of Avante. Yeah, no, if you look at just like women's history in general, I mean, it's very new, right? To see kind of women, it really wasn't until like the 80s, maybe, where you start to see, you know, women really kind of in the, you know, in the workforce at levels that hadn't been seen in the decades before. So, I mean, it's it's really only, you know, like a 40-year-old thing basically trend. I I mean, (laughs) we'll call it, it might've been considered a trend back then. Um, obviously now it's, it's completely different. And, and though, you know, it's come a long way, it's still, like you said, like in these, you know, in certain spaces, you still see kind of the remnants of that culture. It also kind of proves my, you know, what I, what I believe is that, you know, you've had a really positive experience, which means that, you know, these firms do exist. And I can, I can, like I said, all of my clients are organizations that, you know, are women and or minority founded and led that have, you know, I believe outstanding cultures and that offer kind of, you know, just work-life balance in the sense that you're, you know, what I mean by that, of course, you're going to be, you're going to work hard. You're going to work. There'll be many days where you work long hours, but there's a culture of, you're not going to have to choose between family and career. And, and I think that it's even more reason why we need more women to stay in the space because that change is never going to come otherwise, right? That change has only happened and evolved from the few women that really had, you know, the the guts and the balls, like the Jerry Harmons of the world, uh, you know, to, to really, you know, to do what they did at a time when very few were doing that. And so, I mean, it's kind of, you know, you have to continue that, that cycle. And that's why I think it is so important to have these conversations and to give exposure to this space that, you know, just hasn't had that, you know, you just have, like I said, like we going back to the beginning of the conversation, you just don't have that exposure unless you're, you know, unless your dad, you know, comes from investment banking or is in the space, but that's, you know, the majority, especially of diverse talent do not have that as the background, but all right. Well, we went down a little bit of a rabbit hole here, but um, (laughs) so bringing it all back, I want to end on just some practical advice. You had mentioned a couple of times throughout the conversation about, you know, mentors and and connecting and having these conversations and asking questions. And, and I talk a lot, like I said earlier, about building the tribe and networking and connecting with, and the importance of connecting with like-minded folks. But I know that it, it's not, everyone knows they need to network. Everyone knows they need to connect. And I know that it can be a source of anxiety and it can be a source of, of fear and even a little bit of, I don't really know how to do it. So I want you to tell me your take on how to actually do this. What's some practical advice on like how to conduct a coffee meeting, a you know coffee date or a stay in touch or even like a LinkedIn connection? 
go for it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I would say building your network and building your tribe goes two ways. One is vertically. So reaching out to people in positions that you might want to be in who are above you. And that kind of coffee chat, I think would be very different than someone who horizontally is maybe at your same level and you're just trying to find connections. And I think we do that. I'll talk about horizontally first, because I think we do that a lot in our happy hours, just talking to people in your same or similar roles and talking about maybe best practices for modeling. We had one happy hour where we just talked about Excel shortcuts that we learned that other people didn't know. Or generally talking like, how are you thinking about business school? And when is the time for me to start thinking about it? So these conversations are generally a lot more casual. And there are a lot of great ways to meet people who are on similar levels as you. There are a lot of great organizations for women in private equity, like Synergist, Wave, I think 100 Women in Finance. And then there are specific regional and also uh, cultural professional groups. So I'm a part of Asian American Association of Investment Managers, which is for Asian Americans in the investing world. And so finding people through these organizations can kind of take that initial trepidation of reaching out out of it because they're all here in this organization to network. So you already know, like if they're here, there's no sense of they don't want to talk to you or they don't have time to talk to you because that's literally why they're here. That's also a really great way to find mentors is because they're already kind of built in to this program. A lot of these organizations have mentorship programs already. And so that's a really great way to find people who might be in a similar industry or a similar career path as you. In terms of more the cold reach outs for both people at your same level and people above you, the biggest piece of advice that I learned is that if people aren't responding to you, it's not a reflection of you. They're just really busy. Or if they're older, they probably just don't really check LinkedIn. And once I got over that, fear of being a bother or the embarrassment of not being responded to, I now have no shame professionally, you could call it, where anytime I'm sitting in on a panel, I'll reach out to all the panelists and just say, hi, I really enjoyed your take on XYZ on this panel. Really interested in your background. Do you have 15 minutes to connect with me? Thanks. Um, Because I think LinkedIn has a word limit for people you're not already connected to. And just as simple as that, like some people will respond, some people won't. But the fact that you put it out there in a message, usually they'll at least connect with you and you can kind of follow their feed. And as you start building up your own career, you can reach out again. Like there's like a couple of things that I wanted to just uh, elaborate on and, and mention because I think it's really important. Because when I talk to candidates, I always say like, you know, start with the low hanging fruit, right? Start with where you're going to feel most comfortable. So I have found that everyone is very receptive to, you know, like people are in general are nice. Um, and you're right. You shouldn't take it personally. If you're not getting the responses, it's, it's likely that they're just busy or they don't check LinkedIn. So when you change that chip a little bit, you know, you kind of understand that. And like focusing on, like I said, the common denominators, like starting from even start from your alumni network and look at like who would make sense to connect with and say, you know, like, oh, you know, I know that we're, you know, we're from or sororities. Like I've done that. I was in the Greek life when I was in college and I've connected with a lot of sorority sisters 
that, you know, like we never went to the same school, but because of that, it's like, an you know, you have that common denominator. And so it's really easy to connect that way or just overall connecting with women. I have found that women are just incredibly receptive to speaking with other women, especially with younger women. So I would say to, you know, all the, the younger early stage career uh, ladies out there that, you know, you should definitely, you know, don't, don't hesitate to reach out. Just a general comment to add to my last answer. I totally agree with reaching out to your university networks. I remember at my sophomore year internship, I was at a pharma company with a bunch of kids from really great schools. And we went through this, we were at a pretty big pharma company and we went through the employee directory and just sent out a ton of emails trying to do coffee chats. I should start. I'm a huge proponent of doing coffee chats. You're never too young or too old to do them. And I think when I was in college, I've done over a hundred coffee chats with people trying to just figure out what I wanted to do. Like when I came in, I was pre-med and I realized I was squeamish around blood. So I switched to maybe doing law. And then I did coffee chats with a bunch of lawyers, both at law firms, nonprofits, corporate counsel for pharma companies, and realized that I think I would really hate law school. And that's how I, they were the ones who gave me the advice to look into finance. And I would never have, I think, found finance if I hadn't tried so many other things. I think coffee chats are a really great way to experience an entire life and career without having to spend the three months of the internship because this person actually lived through it and they love talking about their experience and giving you advice. Everyone always talks about like, if I, knowing about your, a question that I would always ask is after telling them a little bit about myself, like these are my goals. What would you do in my shoes or what advice would you have for me given your specific background and experiences? And that has been really helpful because they kind of give me their perspective that I would never be able to get in a class, in a book, at an internship, because they've lived through many years of a career that I have yet to have. So I'm a huge proponent of doing coffee chats at any age. Going back to the internship thing, we reached out to everyone in the directory that we thought might be interesting. And my university is really known for their alumni network, and it's called the Trojan Family. And I had, I had a much better response rate because I specifically tried to reach out to people in the department I was working in who, who also graduated from USC. And they're like so happy to connect with a fellow Trojan. And that's something like what school you went to, what clubs you were a part of, even geographically where you're from can be a connection to people. Like I'm from Delaware. It's a really small state. Anyone I know who has a connection to the mid-Atlantic area, we're generally like a few connections away. And especially if you're trying to get into finance roles, I think coffee chats are great just for learning about a variety of different careers. And anyone who you think has a really interesting life and you just want to learn about them, most people will say yes. And like you said, Alexis, they're so happy to help. Women love to help other women, but especially people in finance, the people who you're reaching out to would not have gotten to where they are if the people before them hadn't responded to their coffee chat and did the interview, pushed their resume through. And that's why I think people in finance, if they're not answering, they're they're busy because they truly, so much of your of breaking into the industry is just from who you know, which makes it extremely difficult for diverse individuals who don't have that built-in network to break into the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you don't have maybe the people from your investing society at school trying to push your resume through, or you don't have relatives who work in the industry. Both my parents work in the life sciences. So I didn't have anyone explaining the process of the application process and finding not only those people who 
are willing to advocate for you inside the firm, but also explain the larger process to you of when to start learning technical interviews, when the recruiting process starts, because it gets earlier and earlier every year. And by the time someone who's untraditional like me figured out they wanted to do finance, I was way, way behind. I know I have friends who are in investment banking who started recruiting freshman year, going to leadership seminars set up by big banks. And I was ending my junior summer before senior year when I finally figured out that this is what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But luckily, through doing all co- all the coffee chats that I did over the course of my time in undergrad, and especially over the summer through Avante's speaker program and through their network, I was able to find a lot of people to give me really solid advice on where to go from here, help with applications to jobs at their firms, and just provide an, a network for someone who didn't already have it through my personal connections. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that that's awesome. That's really great advice. And I just want to say you were really busy in college. <laughs> I, I did not do any of that. Um, that's, you know, what, what uh, distinguishes you from uh, many others. I think that <laughs> while, while most would probably not be doing hundreds, like you said, of coffee, you know, coffee dates and coffee chats, that's like you said, one of the probably one of the key things that really helped you to kind of narrow your focus and kind of get you where where you are. So I mean, that's something that's I think applicable and relevant at any age, like you said. And it is, you know, like I will talk to to you know senior folks that might be coming from you know investment banking and who want to get out of investment banking. They want to go into private equity. Of course, at those levels, you know, when we're talking like principal and above, it's hard. It's hard to make that transition um, the more senior you are. And the first thing that I say to them, I was like, you need to draw from your network. You need to make those connections. You need to build the tribe. And I purposely say build the tribe because I think that it's it, it's more than just networking. You know, building the tribe is like like-minded folks. It's, it's finding people with the same kind of, you know, common beliefs who want the same thing rather than just the network of people that, you know, you have to find those. If you're a woman and you want to get into this space, you need to build the tribe. You need to find other women that also want to have a career and want to have, you know, a family and not have to choose. It doesn't make any sense to to make connections with folks, with men in private equity who are coming from firms that, you know, don't have a work-life balance, who don't really value diversity, right? You're going to, again, you're going to want to go with those like-minded folks. So I think that's, that's really, really, really great advice that can be applicable regardless of your level. Absolutely. And I, I think it's really intimidating for people who aren't in business programs where you're literally taught to network to start networking. I know a lot of my friends in STEM majors, when they're starting to apply for jobs, were really nervous about going and talking to people after info sessions because it's not something that's taught in our curriculum. But I also think networking has a negative connotation now. It seems very transactional, like I'm talking to you so you can get me an internship. And that's not at all what networking was when I was taught it. I was lucky to find mentors at USC, uh, older students, who really showed me that networking is just wanting to learn more about someone else. There's no end goal. There's nothing you're trying to get out of them. You just want to learn about them and hear about their career. And that's how you start to authentically build your network is just basically wanting to be friends with people, Mm -hmm. which if you take the element of needing to get something out of it, out of the equation, you can just get to know people. And if you connect, you really connect and that will really help you build your trust. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's about conversation, right? Like that's what I always tell candidates. I'm like, you're not, 
you know, your, your intention is to have a conversation. If it leads to something else, then that's like an added bonus. But I mean, really you're looking for, you know, you're looking for two smart folks to have a good conversation about. Right. And, but that's, that's where it starts. And that's especially, I think, critical to this particular space, because I mean, it is one of the most relationship driven spaces um, that you can be in. So, I mean, if you're not comfortable having, (laughs) starting these conversations and having, building those relationships, it's likely going to be very difficult to to progress. That's probably maybe one thing um, because it is all about those relationships and, you know, being able to, to build those, but adding this to the junior network, the relationships are so important. And what we've found from at least from what I've heard from my team is that when you're a junior person, you're not really expected to do any sourcing or marketing, networking, you're basically heads down in the model all the time. And we found from a lot of different women, especially that once they get to senior associate VP level, they're suddenly expected to start bringing in deals and they, they don't have a network because they've only been doing models and technical things the last I don't know, four or five years of their career. And it, they really struggle to have those same connections. They just really struggle to have to start building that network once they're already in a mid-level position. So having this women's network is really great because you start to build these relationships right when you start entering the industry and you kind of come up through the industry together and it creates a peer group because there's so few women in private equity that's hard to with have a group of women within your firm. But now we're all coming up kind of as a class together. We're all getting promoted around the same time, going through the same struggles that by the time we're expected to source deals and manage relationships. And I, at least at partner level, win deals, these are relationships that will have been almost 10 years in the making. And I think that that's really powerful. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's amazing. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up here. We can clearly continue talking, um, <laughs> um, but we won't. Emily, thank you for for joining me today. It was such a delight. I know that this episode is going to be really helpful for young professionals who are interested in considering careers in PE. And even for those that are already working in, in the space, I think we touch on a lot of things that uh, a lot of topics that are, are truly of interest. And there's quite a few, I think, practical nuggets, the advice and, and insight here that will for sure be, be helpful. So I think, you know, especially to, to all those who, out there for whatever the reason, feel limited or intimidated to explore this path. I think that you are like an awesome example of, you know, what it takes to break in and, and to succeed. So I'm interested in, in following your career and to see exactly where you, where you go. So thank you for, for taking the stage and sharing your story and your opinions and advice. And um, you have just only confirmed that you are definitely an up and coming rock star, but beyond that, you are a rock star right now. (laughs) Thanks, Alexis. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope it's one of many going forward. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening to Take the Stage and our special series, Ladies Who Rock. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. If you are a company or candidate who would like to work with career rockstars, reach out on LinkedIn or send an email to alexis at career-rockstars.com. Thanks again, and until next time.